Take a Bible this morning and find Philippians chapter 4. Philippians 4. This passage is a little bit different than some of the others that we've looked at in the book of Philippians. And as I studied this week and thought about it, I was grateful that it fell today on Grad Sunday because it has a lot to say about our work and our lives and our vocations and our careers and things like that. So Philippians 4 is the passage. We're going to look at verse 14 to 20. Next Sunday is our last Sunday in the book of Philippians. Uh, We're going to spend 20 weeks total in this book, so that means this morning is number 19. And we've done this several times as we've gone through the book of Philippians. We've gone back and we've talked about Acts chapter 16. Acts 16 tells the story of when Paul first went to Philippi, and we've gone back to that, and we've talked about his interactions with Lydia, and his interactions with the slave girl, and his interactions with the Philippian jailer, and how he had to leave town quickly. And this morning, as we think about Philippians 4, 14 to 20, we kind of need to go back at least one more time and just think through the backstory. Not necessarily what happened in Philippians 16 itself or in Acts 16 when Paul was in Philippi, but what happened before he got to Philippi and what happened after he left Philippi. So there's some notes on your outline. Some of these bullet points we're just going to walk through to remind ourselves of what was going on. You remember that Paul and Barnabas teamed up. They were at the church in Antioch and the Spirit called them, set them apart, and the church sort of sent them out on the very first ever mission trip. And it was great. Things went fantastic. Other than one small problem, one of the guys who went on the trip was a guy named John Mark. He was related to Barnabas, and he left in the middle of the trip. He didn't finish the whole trip with Paul and Barnabas. And so when it came time for round two for the second ever mission trip, Barnabas wanted to give John Mark a second chance. He wanted him to come and be part of the team. And Paul said, absolutely not. He quit on us last time. I'm not going with him. And the dispute was so sharp that they divided. And Barnabas said, well, fine, I'll take John Mark and we'll go this way. You take whoever you want and you go that way. And Paul took Silas. And we read in the book of Acts that after he separated from Barnabas, Paul took Silas on a mission trip to Asia. Okay? Paul's plan was Barnabas is going to go this way. We're going to go through the province of Asia, not the continent of Asia like we think of, but a little province in what we call Turkey. And he said, me and Silas are going to go through this province. We're going to preach the gospel and we're going to plant churches. That was the plan for this second mission trip, going through the province of Asia. However, God sovereignly redirected Paul, and he sent him to preach in Macedonia. And you can read about that in the book of Acts. I've given you the reference. The Bible says that God would not allow him to enter Asia, and he called him in a vision to change directions, basically to take a big left turn, and instead of going east into Asia, God called him, essentially forced him to go west into this province of Macedonia. And we've talked about in our study of Philippians, this was the first time the gospel entered Europe. Up until this point, it was in the Middle East and it was sort of dipping over into Asia a little bit. This is the first time it's actually spread into Europe. His first stop in Macedonia was Philippi. And he meets Lydia and he meets a slave girl and he meets the jailer. Unfortunately, if you've read the story, you know he doesn't stay in Philippi long. He gets arrested He gets thrown in jail. He's beaten. And as soon as they let him out of jail, they basically beg him to leave town. And so he's forced to leave Philippi. And initially, as soon as he leaves, he takes the gospel to a town called Thessalonica. 
You're sort of expecting him to settle in and to preach. But he gets to Thessalonica, and he ends up only staying a few weeks, two, three, maybe four weeks in Thessalonica because there's opposition and there's riots forming and there's all these people coming against Paul. And after the church has started, I mean, it's just a baby church. They say to Paul, you need to leave. It's too inflammatory with you here. You need to move on and you need to leave us to do the preaching and the teaching here in Thessalonica. So he only stays in Thessalonica a few weeks before he leaves for Berea. And that's what you've got to get in your brain. He's in Philippi just a short time And as soon as he leaves Philippi, he goes to Thessalonica. And he's only in Thessalonica for a short time. And as soon as he leaves Thessalonica, he goes on to the next town. All of those stops and all of those events come back to play here in Philippians chapter 4. So I'm going to give you the big idea, and then we're going to read the passage. The big idea is super simple. The gospel advances through partnership. It advances through partnership. And this morning as we look at the end here of Philippians 4, the last uh, major section of verses, we're going to see what this partnership looks like. So look in your Bible and you follow along as I read the text. Philippians 4, beginning in verse 14. The Word of God says this, Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia... No church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we gather around your word this morning and we stop to remind ourselves that it's true that it's holy, that it's pure, that it gives us wisdom, that we find truth on its pages, Father, and that it's an authority in our lives. And so we pray this morning that you would give us hearts to submit to the authority of your word, that you would give us eyes to see what gospel partnership looks like and why it's important, Father, and that we would understand how this applies to our lives as we leave this place this morning. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. This is a a description of gospel partnership. You see a church that Paul started, the church in Philippi, supporting him financially as he leaves Philippi and he goes to other places to start other churches. And one of the remarkable things about this partnership is, one, that Paul was only in Philippi for a short time. We know that from Acts 16. He just didn't stay there for a really long time. And then he left and he went to Thessalonica. And we know from the book of Acts that he wasn't in Thessalonica very long. But look what he says in verse 16. He says, even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Some translations say again and again. And the idea is that right after he had been for a short time in Philippi and he goes to Thessalonica, this church back in Philippi is sending him multiple gifts, even in the very short span of time that he was in Thessalonica. Now look. 
they weren't sending these gifts because Paul was living high on the horse and he had a Bentley payment to make and he had a Learjet he had to pay for and travel was expensive and he needed this expensive fancy suit and all this sort of stuff like we think about some preachers today. They're saying to Paul, we want to be partners in your ministry. We're staying here, you're going on, but we want to partner with you. We're going to send you money so that you can go and you can worry about starting churches and preaching the gospel. We're going to stay here and work and we're going to support you. And you see this partnership in this passage. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And I hope you see how it applies to your life this morning. So the question we're going to ask is this. What does Paul teach us about gospel partnership? And I've got five answers for you. And I just want to put your mind at ease. We're going to talk about the first answer for a long time. And then we're going to hit the last four. So when I get to the end of the first one, and you still got four more blanks, don't panic. Graduates, don't worry. Lunch is still going to be hot when you get down there. You're going to beat the guys across the street to lunch, I promise. So don't worry about it. Five ideas. First one is really important. Here it is. Financially supporting gospel work is gospel work. Financially supporting gospel work is gospel work. Look at verse 15. In verse 15, Paul uses the word partnership. He says, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Some translations use the word fellowship. No church entered into fellowship with me. It's the same idea, however you translate it in English. It's actually a word in ancient Greece that was used for business partnerships. And that may seem a little bit strange for Paul to be using business terms, but he's using a word saying you and I are partners in this venture. So if you wanted to think in the ancient world what that might look like, you could think about maybe there's a guy who has some money, and here's a guy who is a great fisherman, and the guy with the money and the fisherman team up, and he says, look, I'm going to front you the money, we're going to buy a boat, we're going to buy nets, we're going to buy all the equipment, you're going to run the fishing business, then we're going to split the profits. That's a partnership. And what Paul is saying to the church in Philippi is kind of a strange idea to us is you and I are partners in this gospel ministry. We do it together. It's not something I'm out doing all on my own. It's not something I can do out all on my own. But you and I are partners together. And he's grateful for this partnership that he has with this church. And look, in Paul's mind, there's really no distinction between the one who supplies the money and the resources and the one who goes out and does the preaching. It's not like Paul says, look, you stay home and do the grunt work. I'm going to go out and do the Bible work. He just says, we're partners in this. What you do on your end and what I do on my end, they fit together, and we're partners in gospel ministry. And I want you to understand that when you give to support gospel ministry, that is gospel ministry, the giving itself. And the place that you get that money from or those resources from that you give, however you come across your money, you're working hard, whatever your profession, that in itself is gospel ministry. And I think in the United States, we've totally lost sight of this. I think in our culture today, we have completely lost sight of a biblical view of work and vocation. And I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but I want you to think about this. How many of you have found yourselves thinking, I'm just working for the weekend. Is it the weekend already? I just, I got to get to the weekend. Or maybe you're thinking, 
I just got to get to my next vacation. Like our family has a summer vacation planned, and so maybe in your brain you're like, summer's close, and we're taking a cruise, or we're going to the beach. I just, I'm so miserable at work. I'm tired of the people I work with. I'm tired of what I do. I'm sick of it, and I'm just, I just got to get to that vacation. Or maybe some of you, the, the real end is in sight, and you're thinking retirement. Like if I can just a little bit longer... I can see the light at the end of the tunnel and I'm just miserable right now and I just don't want to be doing this and I'm just trying to get a little bit further to retirement. But in the United States, we tend to have this view of work that says work is something you endure. It's just something you put up with. So you can get to the next weekend or you can get to the next vacation or hopefully someday you can quit working and you can retire. And the Bible says so much more about work than that. If your view of work is this is just something I'm putting up with, something that's like a necessary evil that I have to do, you've totally missed the biblical view of work. One of the things the Bible says is that God created you to work. He didn't create you to retire. Now, you can retire someday. I'm not trying to lay a guilt trip on you. But I'm just saying he created us to work, to be productive, And you may get a paycheck for your work, or you may stay home and take care of your family, or uh, an older family member, a parent, but you were created to contribute and to work in some way. And you know as well as I do that when you take that away from people, and they no longer have the ability to work and be productive and contribute, they often feel like a waste of a person. They often feel like they're just lost and they have no value. Like, I can't contribute in some way. That's because God built that into us. He made us to work. The Bible also says you should work to provide for your family. You find that in the book of Proverbs. Lots and lots of warnings against laziness in the book of Proverbs. You find it in the New Testament. It says, look, if somebody's able-bodied and they can get out there and work and they won't do it, there's no reason for you to feed them. Work is valued, and you should do it to support your family. On top of all of that, one of the things the Bible says about work is that your work is one of the ways you partner in the gospel. You may have never thought about that before because you say, well, I'm not a preacher. I'm not a missionary. I don't get my paycheck from the church. I teach third graders, or I work out in the oil field, or I crunch numbers on a screen all day long. Or I do whatever. And it's not gospel work. Trust me, you're not there with me, Pastor. It's just work. That's all it is. And I'm saying to you, that's not all that it is. Look what the Bible says in the book of Ephesians. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, let him work, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. That's a great summary of the biblical view of work. Don't steal. Don't be lazy. Don't pervert what the Bible says about work, but work. Do honest work. Work hard. Whatever your work is, do it as good as you can do it. Why? Not just so that you can meet your own needs and people don't have to bail you out, but so that you have something to give to those who are in need. Look, you don't just work to make it to the weekend or vacation or retirement. You don't just work so you can buy nice things for your family. 
The biblical view of work, what Paul's talking about in Ephesians and what he's talking about in Philippians, is a view of work that says you and I work, and we work hard so that we have money to give to those who are in need and so that we have money to enter into gospel partnership. You may never have thought about your job as gospel work. You may think, I have a totally secular job, and the people I work with are totally secular, and I don't get to preach, and I don't have opportunity to share, and we don't take mission trips, and we don't do this, and we don't have revivals, and this is church stuff, and what I do is work stuff. And what I'm telling you is when you get this idea of work that Paul's talking about, your work, whatever it is, becomes gospel work. When you understand I'm working so that I can partner with those who are preaching the gospel. To our graduates, you guys are finishing up high school, you're getting ready to go to college, a lot of you have probably thought about what your major is going to be and you're going to change it 16 times before you graduate, and I'm just telling you, if you don't end up in seminary, God is still calling you to gospel work. Just because you don't end up with a Bible degree or end up in a a missionary position or a, a preaching position doesn't mean you're not called to gospel work. You may be teaching, you may be an accountant, you may run a business, you may work in the oil field, you may do any number of things. But the biblical view that Paul's talking about is we work because God made us to work, because we want to provide for our families, and because we want to be part of this gospel partnership. The best example of this I've ever read about in church history is a guy named Count Zinzendorf, who has a great name, Count Zinzendorf and the Moravian Brotherhood. They lived in what we call Germany in the 1700s, a long time ago. They're this close-knit group of guys. They lived together, they worked together, they spent time together, they loved Jesus, they followed Jesus, and they had this mindset among them. And the mindset was this, We have got to get the gospel to the ends of the earth, whatever it takes. We've got to get it there. That means some of us have to go. We have to leave our community. We have to go take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And they made incredible sacrifices to go. But they also understood if somebody's going to go, somebody's got to stay. Somebody's got to work. Because we've got to have money to send these guys on boats and on ships all around the world. So we got to have guys who work, who make money, so that we can send missionaries. And back home, these guys were serious about business and farming and textiles and herding and ranching and whatever it is that they did. They were super serious about it, and they said, we want to make as much money as possible. Not so that we can spend it all on ourselves, not so that we can have the best this and the best that, but so that we can send the most people to the ends of the earth with the gospel. And so they worked hard, and they worked hard to turn a profit, and they made a lot of profit, and they sent more missionaries per capita than any other church or denomination or group I've ever read about in church history. It's amazing the number of missionaries this tiny group of people sent out, and it's because they had this shared vision. We're not just working for the weekend or for vacation or for retirement. We're working to send the gospel out in partnership, and some of us in that partnership are going to go. And some of us in that partnership are going to stay here and raise cattle and make textiles and engage in trade and have businesses. And we're going to make money because God made us to work and because we've got to take care of our families, but most of all because we want to be part of this partnership. What I'm telling you is that whatever your job is, when you work hard so that you can come to church and you can give 
and partnering gospel ministry. The act of giving is gospel ministry. It's gospel work. And your work that enables you to give is gospel work. Some of you feel like I totally just let you off the hook. You're like, wait a minute, this is great news. All I have to do is go to work and make a paycheck and then throw, throw some of it in the offering box and I get to check off gospel work from my life. Because he just said, most important point in the sermon is giving to gospel work, partnering gospel work is gospel work. So check it off. I'm done with that check in the box. Done. Wrong. Look what the Bible says. 1 Peter 3.15. In your hearts honor Christ the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Do it with gentleness and respect. You still have to be ready to give a reason to give a defense for the hope that you have in Jesus Christ. You still have to, on some level, open your mouth and talk to your coworkers and talk to your neighbors and talk to your family members and share the good news of Jesus Christ. What I'm saying to you is that when you work at a quote-unquote secular job all week long, you don't need to beat yourself up or feel like, well, I haven't done anything church-related all week. Of course you have. You've worked because that's what God made you to do. And you've worked to provide for your family, and you've worked to partner in gospel ministry. Just to make it real obvious what I'm saying. When one of our staff members, me or Corey or Hunter or Terry or Jennifer, one of our staff members, when we go during the week and we meet somebody at lunch who's new to the area or new to our church, and we have the opportunity to sit down and share the gospel with them, do you realize you're a partner in that? Like, I realize you're not there in the conversation, but you're a partner in that. We get to do stuff like that because you give to partner in gospel work. When the ladies, Terry or or Jennifer, when they plan an event for kids, a VBS, they're right in the middle of, let's get VBS planned, and we're going to get all these kids here, and we're going to share the gospel with them. You may say, man, I feel bad because I work, and I can't come help. I just can't get away from work to come be a part of VBS. I wish I could be a part of it. When you give to our church, you're a part of it. You're partnering in gospel work. You're entering into gospel work when you give. To think about it on the missions front, every year we collect a world missions offering. We collect it all the way through the year. We especially talk about it at the end of the year. The vast majority of us are going to stay right here in Odessa or right here in the United States for the next X number of years. We're not going to go to Timbuktu or to the Great Wall or all around the world where people need to hear about Jesus. You don't need to beat yourself up like, man, if I was a good Christian, I would go. When you work hard and you give sacrificially so that we can send missionaries out, you're partners in that work. You're partnering and you're involving yourself in the work of sharing the gospel. An opportunity you're going to hear more about in the coming months, our missions pastor, Chris Harrington, has started a new nonprofit organization. It's called Nourishing the Nations, and it's going to build on what we've been doing over in Kenya. And the The idea of this program that Chris has is we're going to feed starving, hungry kids in Kenya. They don't have anything to eat, and we can feed them. So we're going to feed these kids, and we're going to do it through the churches that we partner with. 
the pastors that we work with over there are going to oversee this ministry. And the kids will be able to come and they'll be able to eat. And while they're there eating and they bring their parents or they bring their family around, they're going to share the gospel. Our pastors are going to be ready and and eager to share the gospel with these families when they come in contact with them. Already that's been happening. We've already heard stories about people coming to feed their kids and they hear the gospel and they become followers of Jesus Christ. You may never go scoop out a bowl of beans for a kid in Kenya. But when you give to a ministry like that, you're partnering in gospel work. And giving financially to support gospel work is gospel work. That's what Paul's telling the Philippians when he talks about this church entering into partnership with him. Okay, now for the rest of these blanks on your outline. Here we go. Financially supporting gospel work is evidence of faith. It's evidence of faith. Look at verse 17. He says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. When they send this money through Epaphroditus to Paul, Paul says, I'm seeking, when you give to me like that, I'm seeking the fruit that increases to your credit. That's fruit in your life. It's evidence of faith in your life. He's not trying to say that you're buying your way into heaven. He's not trying to say that because you gave to support gospel work, you somehow get a free pass into salvation. What he's saying is, you have salvation. And the fruit of that that overflows in your life is that you have this desire to enter into partnership with me. And he talks about their giving as a fruit of their faith. Number three, financially supporting gospel work is an act of worship. An act of worship. Verse 18, he says, I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent. And here he describes the gifts. A fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. This is straight out of the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, God's people would come to the tabernacle or the temple and they would offer these sacrifices. And many times after the animal was slaughtered, they'd put the animal on this altar and they would burn the animal. And the smoke obviously would rise up. And at times, the Old Testament describes that smoke rising up from this sacrifice as a fragrant incense in the Lord's nostrils. That's not supposed to make you think like God's up there smelling the campfire. That's the Bible talking about God in a way that makes sense to us, in a way that we can understand and relate to. And the Bible's saying God is pleased when these men and women bring their sacrifices and offer them to him. And in Philippians, it's not an animal sacrifice, but it's a financial sacrifice. It's this gift that they've sent through Epaphroditus. And Paul says, the gift that you sent is a fragrant offering and a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Look, when you take your offering check or your money or your envelope or whatever you use and you put it in that box, that may seem like just a sort of an innocent, not that big a deal thing. That is an act of worship. Just as much as when you walk in this room and you sing praises with the praise band. When you get online, if you're high tech and you like to give online, you don't like to use an offering box. You like to get online, you may just feel like, well, this is no different than Amazon. I type in my credit card number, I hit the thing, and I give online. Whoop-de-doo. No, that's an act of worship. When you are giving to partner and to supporting gospel work, that's an act of worship. Every bit as much as when we gather together and pray together and study the word together. Financially supporting gospel work is an act of worship. Number four. Financially supporting gospel work is an act of faith. It's an act of faith. 
Verse 19, Paul assures them, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. When I read this and I think about this church giving to support Paul and Paul saying, God is going to meet all of your needs, I can't help but think about Matthew 6. And you can look it up later today. It's the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus says a lot of different things in the Sermon on the Mount. But in Matthew 6, he starts to talk about money. And Jesus starts to say things like, you can't serve God and money. You can only serve one. You're either going to love one or you're going to hate the other or you're going to hate the one and love the other. You can't serve both. You can only have one master. And almost immediately, he starts talking about worry and anxiety. And he hadn't just entered into some sort of totally new conversation and changed the subject. What he's talking about when he talks about worry and anxiety flows right out of what he's saying about money. You can't serve both of them. And when you give your money away for missions or for supporting your church or whatever gospel ministry you're giving to, that's an act of faith. And you're saying, I trust God to give me what I need when I need it. I trust him more than my money because I'm willing to give it away. It's not my security. It's not my comfort. It's not my hope. I'm willing to give that away. And I trust God to give me what I need when I need it. And the reality is all of us, All of us wrestle with this nagging question when it comes to money in the back of our heads. And the question is, will I have enough? Will I have enough? And for some of us, the question is, will I have enough to eat? Or will I have enough to pay my bills? And for some of you, the question isn't, will I have enough to survive? But the question is, will I have enough to be comfortable? Will I have enough to just sort of maintain Life is pretty good right now. Will I have enough to be comfortable? And for some of us, it's not even a question of comfort. It's just, will I have enough to do all of the things that I want to do? Have all of these big plans. Will I have enough to do those things? But this very simple question, always in the back of our minds, will we have enough? Will there be enough? And Jesus is saying in the Sermon on the Mount, there will be enough. God takes care of the birds and the flowers. He's going to take care of you. And Paul says to the church in Philippi, you're going to have enough. My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. God will meet all your needs. You don't have to trust your money. You can trust God. You may be thinking, well, who were these people in Philippi who were giving? Because we know Lydia was there and she seemed like she had a lot of money. So maybe, maybe the giving is for the rich people. Like Lydia, like the rich people give, they got too much anyways, and it really didn't hurt her to give. But you should go look up 2 Corinthians 8 later today. We're not going to look at it this morning. 2 Corinthians 8. In 2 Corinthians 8, Paul talks about the church in Philippi. And according to Paul, what he says to the church in Corinth, he says, look, those folks over in Macedonia in Philippi, when they gave to support me, they gave out of their extreme poverty. They didn't have a lot. They weren't highfalutin and well-off and living high on the hog. These were poor folks. But they gave again and again to support my ministry. They did it as an act of faith, trusting God, not their money. Last idea is this. Financially supporting gospel work brings glory to God. It glorifies God. 
verse 20, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. I really don't think that's just like a churchy add-on at the end of this discussion. And I really don't think it's just sort of a, a nice way to wrap it all up and put a Christian bow on the end of it. I think it's Paul's conclusion to everything he's been saying about gospel partnership and giving to support gospel work. And his conclusion is, all of this, those who go out and preach and those who stay home and work to support, all of it brings glory to God. Because all of those involved have a role to play in the gospel going out to those who need to hear it most. Those who need to hear it most in Odessa who are not followers of Jesus Christ, those who need to hear it across the United States, those who need to hear it in Kenya, those who need to hear it to the far corners of the earth. When the gospel goes out and we do it together through partnership, God is glorified in that. Let's pray together. Father, we're amazed that you use us for your purposes and your plans. And Father, it's a great privilege not only to be called your children, to be your church, but to be your hands and your feet, to be salt and light for your kingdom. Father, to be able to partner together in gospel ministry and in gospel work. Father, I am grateful for the people in this church who work hard and who give faithfully to support gospel work. And Father, I pray that you would continue to grow that spirit of hard work and giving in our church. Father, I'm grateful for the people that you've called to work on our staff here. I'm grateful for the partnerships that you've given us. Father, even to the the other side of the world with our friends in Kenya and the opportunities you've set before us to partner together and to work together to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. Father, in all of it, our desire is that you are glorified and you are honored. Father, we pray that we would work hard because you made us to do that, because we want to support our families, but because we want the gospel to go out to as many people as possible. Father, be honored in our singing as we respond to you and we think about your grace and we sing about your grace and your mercy to us. Father, we pray all of these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. I'd like you to stand up.